0: Rockheads, it's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers, brought to you by Franklin's Net, teaching developers to work smarter. This show is number 42, recorded Tuesday, November 25th, 2003. Sponsored by Redgate Software, simple tools for Microsoft developers, testers, and DBAs. I'm Carl Franklin in New London, Connecticut, and my guest today is none other than MSDN Regional Director, .NET Security Expert, and CTO of Critical Sites, Pat Hines. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, Carl is my name, .NET is my game, and uh, my co-host Mark Dunn is away this week. But we are talking today about security, and uh, before I get into that, I'd like to read this letter that we got from an alert listener. Uh, This is from William Ramirez in in San Jose, Costa Rica. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that you are heard in Costa Rica. I downloaded a few shows, burned them on CDs, and listened to them on my way to work. Very good and entertaining, aside from the great topics and tips. Keep it up, guys. I assisted to Franklin's talk on Dev Connections in Palm Springs last month. You have a flair for showbiz. Maybe you chose the wrong career. You should be governor for California. Oh, God. And maybe, eventually, president of the U.S. Just keep monogamous, don't dance with strippers, and don't do any weed because it will come back and get you. (laughs) If you ever wonder what it's like to be a .NET programmer in a third-world country, call me. I have antidotes aplenty. Uh, William Ramirez, San Jose, Calif- uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, not California. And uh, it's interesting. I asked him if I could read that on the air, and he said, yes, just don't use an Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. <laughs> Got another letter from Eddie Ryko, uh, who says, hey, Carl, I wanted to drop you a note and tell you what a great job you guys do. As many of the listeners, I have only been a diehard fan for a few months and had a backlog of shows to listen to. Ironically, I knew about the show for probably about a year, I guess almost right when it began, but never found the time to look into it until a few months back when I started burning them and listening in the car. Hey, you know, I I see a trend happening here, like many others. I love the show so much that sometimes even though I have arrived to the destination, I stay in the car listening until I can pull myself away to go do whatever. My fiancé doesn't always find this amusing. (laughs) Living in Orlando, Florida, I recently went to an event near Miami, four-hour-plus drive, and the trip never seems shorter than when listening to the shows. I also want to tell you that your blog is rapidly becoming one of my favorites as well. I have read Chris Sell's blog for a long time, still number one, but yours is getting up there. Some of the things I like most about your blog are, A, you actually write code in the entries instead of abstract do this and this, B, it is timely information, and C, humorous where possible. Make more shows soon, needing my show's fix, my show fix, keep on rocking, an addicted fan, Eddie Rico. Well, Eddie, we'll keep making them if you keep listening.
1: <laughs>
0: well, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce our guest today, Patrick Hines. Hey, he, How you doing? Pretty good. Pat is the regional director, MSDN regional director for the Boston area and New England North. Would you say New England North?
2: Yep, everything... Everything that you haven't taken out of the seven. <laughs>
0: that's right. So you're like New Hampshire, Vermont, Boston, and Maine, I suppose. And I'm sort of like Western Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island.
2: I think that's the way it up.
0: Yeah, something like that. So you get the benefit of shopping at the duty-free supermarket there.
2: Yeah. There's no taxes in New Hampshire. We like it that way.
0: How close? Uh, how close do you live to the... Portsmouth Bridge, where the where the duty free store is.
2: I'm actually pretty far from there. Um, I live about ten miles north of the Massachusetts border.
0: Yeah, I, that's the first thing I notice when I go to Maine or go through New Hampshire is buy your liquor here. Great big red warehouse on I-95.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: so how come there are no uh, how come there are no north uh, east west highways in New Hampshire?
2: Oh well, I have a theory on that. You see, New Hampshire is a lot like uh, some of the southern states. Uh-huh. If um, and and that's by design. If the Chinese ever invade, then we'll be able to stop them before they get to Vermont, <laughs> <laughs> or anybody invades, actually, it, it works for any anybody. <laughs> so it's we're like, kind of a bastion of uh, of gun owners up here in the Northeast.
0: Yeah. So you've uh, you've been dealing a lot ever since you you were on the very first show. Yes. The the first guest.
2: Yep. You, you came up with this idea that you want to do this radio show, and I. I thought maybe I'd, the only people who would ever hear it would be your aunts and your grandmother. But
1: <laughs> you figured you'd help me out. I Did figured
2: you? you know we go way back, and it sounded like a fun idea. And I was I was actually uh, I'm not nervous now, but I thought I'd be more nervous now that it's a a uh, national phenomenon.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks to guests like you, the um, what we were talking about then was sort of uh, Java versus .dot net and some real world experience you had with that. Right. And uh, we also caught up with you during the. Dev Connections show in two thousand two, right? Yes. And uh, you laid a little bit of a little bit of security stuff on us, if I'm not mistaken, back then. But yeah. since then, you've really been digging into this topic.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, I've always been involved in security. Um, one of the things that that you know that the listeners might not know is I straddle the fence between the networking side and the, the development side. Right. MCSE, MCSD, MCDBA, all that. And so, critical sites, the company that I'm the CTO for, we do a lot of security work and a lot of performance work because that's really where the gray areas are, where everybody starts pointing fingers. And security keeps rising higher and higher on everyone's agenda. Um, and this year, I think it's, it's it's about to pop out of the top of the thermometer. It, it, it security is the first priority of everyone I talk to, of every article I read. There's either an undercurrent or a major theme about security in everything.
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I just got an e-week in the mail today and uh top you know to top not the top story because that's about bill Gates, a seamless transition, but it 's an interview yep. with him but uh the top news and analysis story is microsoft plans s- plans security push enhancements in the work for server two thousand and three x p yep and um there's a uh uh basically a great big story about there that Microsoft is preparing a series of major changes to the security capabilities in the Windows client and server platforms, and they will further lock down the company's flagship operating systems.
2: Um, XP Service Pack 2 is about to come out in a little while, and that will be a major security change as well. It was announced by Steve Ballmer on stage, I think, when uh, he did that momentum. It's got to be the next big push. It's the place where um, you lose a lot of reputation really fast if you're not secure. Um, Another thing that we find is that that people, everything, every system you ever look at looks secure until somebody breaches it because security is more like the the battle you can never really win. You have to fight it every day, but it's it's kind of a survival thing.
0: Do you think that these new service packs, I don't know how much you know about them, but do you think they're going to um, cause inconveniences with, with people who don't understand them? Uh, in other words, are they going to like lock down ports and are we not going to be able all of a sudden I can't see my printer and things like that?
2: Yeah, we're going to fight the, the, the trade-off war. I was actually involved in a 2003 migration um, not too long ago and Exchange, uh, no, it's actually Active Directory. Active Directory on 2003 there's a, there's a lockdown that will disable remote registry. It's right. part of the secure template. Well, if you do that, you can't get to the dial-in permissions for a user. Right. The page won't render. So there's lots of these mutually exclusive functionality versus security mechanisms.
0: You think they're going to have like wizards that you can walk through saying like, are you using DCOM? Are you using this? Are you using that? I
2: think eventually we'll get there. I mean, eventually we're going to get to the point where, you know, I'd like a network hold the scroll bars. and You know, I don't, I don't, want, I want uh, scroll mouses on the side. Right. But but we're not there yet. Um, the problem with these wizards is they simplify things to the point that you can't get at the, the underbelly.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Um, and, and you can't, I guess the, every option we see in the operating systems and in all the tools are there because somebody thought you might want to have it on and you, or you might want to have it off. Right? There's so many permutations. I, I don't think you can cover them all. I mean, we've already seen a little bit of that with the web version of 2003 server. It's, it's designed for people who are just doing that one major function.
0: Yeah, I always wanted I always wanted to know what the difference was between the web version of server 2003 and I mean, I hear it uh, doesn't obviously do
2: printers it doesn't do file sharing, it doesn't do the things that you would run a network on. Okay. It's just a web server.
0: And that's a security measure.
2: Um it's a security measure, it's also a cost-cutting measure. Because right. they can you can sell it cheaper if it doesn't support those services. Right. Um I mean, everything's multidimensional. Security is is the dimension that not the only dimension I focus on, but it's the one I try to remind myself I have to pay attention to every day.
0: So it sounds like, as, as I said before and as you agreed with me, that the big trick for doing security right is walking that line between inconvenience and security.
2: Yeah. Well, a great example of that would be if, if I tell my users they have to change their password to a new password, one that, you know, you know how the systems can remember right. whether you use the old password or not, um, every day that's more secure. The user community will kill you. Right. You know, they're not going <laughs> to let you survive that. So you've got to find the trade off. What's better, thirty days or forty five days? Well, thirty days is better, but it's less convenient. Right. And you get to the point where people have stickies on their monitors, and you get to the point where you defeat yourself by being too stringent.
0: I got a you know, you're an R D and I'm an R D and we have we have access to a, a shared site at Microsoft and um you know, the password requirements for this site are unbelievable, aren't they?
1: They're good though. They're very good.
0: They're very good. But do you think people are hacking, you know, passwords that are 20 characters that are, you know, five letters and three numbers and two, I mean, these big ones. It actually
2: turns out that that multiples of seven are the best. You want passwords that are uh, multiples of seven characters.
0: What I'm saying is, are there people out there trying to hack your password?
2: Oh, yeah. yes, There are. There are. So it's a smaller percentage than the people who are just trying to hit your system and see if it's open.
0: Right. It seems like a lot of the the hacking attempts that are really that really succeed are automated. The ones that where the they programmatically go out and they find script holes. Yeah, scripts.
2: Yeah, a kid, 13 years old, 12 years old runs a script, runs a program. The, the scary thing is how many um, set of programs you find out there for systems that will hack for you.
0: But the issue is that nobody's really popping up a dialogue box on a web server over and over again saying, okay, I'll try this random password. Okay. No, they're,
2: but they are brute forcing. Yeah. We saw brute force attacks against um, systems in Spike recently. It depends on how you're auditing. Uh, you can catch these. Uh, what was it? I, I just wrote an article that's going to be in a .NET developer's journal, and I quote um, a comment that Ted Neward made that, that actually I found out he was attributed to someone else I think Pat Helen.
1: Yeah, this
0: was good. I remember this.
2: That you can't make the walls wide enough or tall enough anymore. Now you have to have a warning system on the big fat wall so that you can get the soldiers on the top to start pouring the burning oil down on them. So <laughs> you know, warning, early warning systems are starting to become the key. And and actually the article that I wrote is about random salt is a way to keep the database once it's breached from being useful to a hacker. So so we're starting to see defense in depth that goes all the way down to the point of, yeah, okay, we'll assume they've gotten through all these other th- things. Even if they get the data, they can't use it. Right. So it, your house is kind of that way. I mean, yeah. if you're in your house, somebody comes on your property, if you've got a dog, they're going to bark. The lights are going to go on automatically. Then they got to get through a locked door. Then they got to get, you know, now we have the panic rooms. Some um, I don't think I have a panic room, but... But you see the defensive layers? We don't want anybody to get in our house, but if they do, we know what we're going to do next. So I was an infantry officer during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, and my job as an infantry officer was to prepare for the coming battle, whether it was a defense or an offense. And, and one of the things that most people don't realize is when you're, when you're in that situation, you're never done. You're never, ever, ever done. You can always dig another ditch or set up another booby trap or, or let you know re, refine your fields of fire or plan for another alternative. They're never done. Well, security is the same way. You're never done. You get to pick which tools you use, but there's always going to be, at the end of the day, week, century, things you didn't do because you ran out of time, money, and resources. Yeah. So here's one. I'll give I'll give everyone a good hint on, on one thing you can do that should help your security right here. .NET Rocks exclusive. <laughs> a lot of people may not know, know about this one. This is one of my favorite things. You go and you take your Windows... Administrator password. Everybody's got one, and you rename it something. Don't rename it ADM domain name. Don't rename it, you know, admin renamed or anything like that. Name it according to the same name naming scenario you use with users on your network.
1: Yeah, I do so, that.
2: Randy Junkins. Give Randy Junkins a user account by renaming the administrator account, and then it's hidden. It's no longer accessible to an admin to a, a hacker as a bold target. It's still there. It still has administrative access, but how can they tell that from the Carl Franklin account?
0: Well, I think that would be page one in the security (laughs) checkup handbook to rename your admin password.
2: It it is, but it goes further than that. Well, well, you rename your admin account. Here's the part that's a little tricky. Then you you create a new account called Administrator. Okay. Give it no permissions to anything. Set a a really big password, 14 characters, multiple case symbols and all that. And then audit login failures on that account. Right. If you audit that account aggressively, you'll find out when people are trying to hack you. And right. even if they get in, what do they get? They got an administrator account that doesn't work. Right. Now, if you ignore that, then they're going to go after all your user accounts because they know that's no longer it. And a determined attacker right. will eventually get in. Huh. But you've had all your warning now. Right. So I, I think that's that's the extra part. You wanna use deception against the attackers. They they use it all the time. Human engineering attacks are all about convincing the user to do something that they shouldn't do Interesting. For their own best interest.
0: That's your uh, military mind at work there, Pat. It,
2: it is, yes. I think I'm, I'm suited for security based on my military background.
0: So, so the idea, again, to recap, you first of all rename your administrator account to yep. a regular old account name. Yes,
2: yeah, somebody do who it, doesn't work for
0: the company. Somebody who doesn't work for the company. And because that account has built-in carte blanche access to everything... You want to just take no chances. Rename the account, and then you create another account called administrator that has zero privilege, and you audit it. Now, how do you turn? How does one turn on auditing? Because this is something that uh, I'm sure a lot of developers, anyway, have the faintest clue about.
2: It, it does depend on the operating system.
0: Let's say let's say Windows 2000, which is the most widely used for development.
2: Um, so for 2000, you'd go into the security policy icon under administrative tools. Okay. And under local policies, there's an audit policy, Okay. and under audit policy, you can audit account log-on events mm-hmm. okay, for success or failure. That'll turn on aud- auditing in general. Okay. If you audit for failure, which you know some people fail to log in, but when you see the administrator has tri- failed to log in 57 times in the last minute, right. now you know there's a problem. But that also begs the question, you have to check your logs.
1: Right.
0: Now there are mechanisms for automatically notifying you when the log is changed, and in yeah. fact, you could even add those mechanisms through through and extend them through Visual Studio, right? Because yeah. we Net have IQ, the NetIQ
2: Microsoft um, Mom.
0: But there's also just the event logs uh, that raise events. Like you yeah. could drag the security log onto a form from the Server Explorer and enable events, and you can actually get an event in a program when an entry is is uh, written to, exactly. and you can receive that entry as an object and read all about it. So right. you could write a little Windows service, for example, that monitors that log and then Haven't sends you an email. an email or something like Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah.
2: All cool stuff. So, I mean, that's just one little hint about a what nice you should one. do. That's a nice one. It, and it's a good one.
0: It's a it's a trap.
2: Well, yeah, it's the 80-20 rule. The, the 20% of the things you could do to protect you, We'll get you 80% of the results that you you'll see overall. So we want to always get those those real gems, those ones that really help us. Well, service packs, some hot fixes, this kind of you know planning. But a lot of th- times it's just planning. We do a service that's called we we'll go in and we'll we'll do an attack against a client. Um, you know, not an attack, but we'll they'll give us. Like five IP addresses. Right. We'll see what we can find. And, and sometimes we get to the financials database. Huh. We've we've had clients give us as few as three IP addresses, and we've identified 24 servers in yeah. their environment. Right. And and some of them we've even gotten, you know, low-level access, and that's Unix as well as, as Windows systems.
0: Pat, um, for the naive among us who think, oh, you know, I have a server up here, but, you know, it's tucked away in a little corner of the Internet, and nobody knows about it, how can I... Monet, what's an easy way for me to look at how much that server is being hacked? And and I hear all the time that from people that say, you know, in our company we put up a server and within 10 seconds there were scripts, people, whatever, trying to get in.
2: Yeah. Well, so it's, it's the automated attacks from viruses and it's the hackers that are doing port scans and then actually actively trying to hack.
0: So, how do you? What's an easy way to figure that out if you're if you're the naive among us?
2: Uh, so you can get one of these like zone alarms or or something like that. You can get something that actually sits in front of it. It's basically a firewall.
0: The problem is, if you just want to monitor it, though, you don't right. want to lock things out. So, is there an easy way to do that with zone alarm? Just monitor, not allow everything through, but monitor it.
2: Almost all these firewalls, you can open them up wide open. But just and, watch the th- and still yeah. audit them. Yeah. Um, the way I would watch a system, the way I do watch a system, is I I do the little trick I gave you, uh uh-huh. rename the administrator account. I do watch for login fairs and I check my I check my logs regularly. Right. Um, there's also the web logs if it's a web server, which often is what people would do. Right. Um, we take a web server and we'll look at its its logs,
1: its, right. uh,
2: event logs for IIS, and we'll search for things like cmd.exe. Right. If somebody's got, if if one of the requests, web requests has cmd.exe and there's a thousand other strings out there. Yep. But that's one of the hallmarks. Yeah,
0: I see that all the time.
2: Then I, and I look to see whether the page got served with a 200. Right. 200 means the page got served, which means they got in.
0: They got in, right. So. Now here's a, here's a tip for the listeners out there. Something that we do at Franklin's Net and I encourage you to do it too is use ODBC logging. Set up a database in SQL Server and, uh, you can, there's a script that's available. Uh, we'll make a link to it where you can generate a database and then create an ODBC system DSN to it. And instead of using the, the text files, you know, with a rolling date naming convention or whatever, yep. um, to to have the logs, which are impossible to read and look through and everything, by the way.
2: Yeah, you need a tool like that. But, I mean, I, I look at them occasionally just to spot check things. Right. Mm-hmm. But um. I'm saying...
0: Once you have it in a database, now you can write triggers, now you can write programs, you can get involved and actually get into the security system rather than, you know, being outside of it all the time as a programmer.
2: Another thing that gets people in trouble is that they think they're they're hack-free, but they're, they're they're just being benevolently hacked. Right. Actually, they're not benevolently hacked. They're being hacked by someone, and this is really wild the hacker will then secure the system to keep another hacker from getting in. <laughs> now, this actually happens. We do, we'll take a system that we've left on the Internet exposed for a while and then do a forensics on it. Yeah. We'll look through and figure out what's going on. We'll learn about new techniques, new hacks, new files that we need to look for, that kind of thing. And um, we'll actually start to see people, uh, when a real person, a real hacker, somebody who does this stuff, not full-time, but, but a lot of their time, um, takes over your box if they want the resources you get a large hard drive, you get some of those other resources they like a big pipe yep. um, that will often secure down your system so that it won 't be hacked by anybody else, but that doesn't mean that they're protecting you they're they just want your resources for themselves <laughs> um, those
0: <laughs> excuse me mr hacker sir
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is those what those hackers will typically do is they won 't do anything overt that will cause you to think you 've been hacked right it will still work. They won't do denial of service to you.
0: They won't set up a, an anonymous FTP account. and
2: they'll, they'll consume a couple of gigs out of 100 gigs, and maybe they'll consume 50 gigs out of 100 gigs, and you might not notice.
0: Now, I, I just brought up anonymous FTP, and uh, that is a huge problem. Yep. Anytime that uh, you put up an anonymous FTP site, which, by the way, when you install Windows 2000 and you install IIS, uh, doesn't it turn the FTP server on anonymous by default?
2: Yeah, the, the, 2003 is really the first server that's that's secure by default. Right. That so you install it by default, and you you'll get frustrated by having to open things up, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's good. We had a we had that happen to us a couple of times, and just because I don't know why, maybe somebody got one of our users got in there and left an FTP site open. Maybe they wanted to go upload something, and then they forgot to turn it off. I'm not sure how it how it happened, but uh, recalling now, but that's what happened was an FTP site got created. And and all of a sudden, our bandwidth goes through the roof. The ISP calls me up. What the hell is happening on your server? Yeah. You come to find out. You just That's the first thing I look at now if there's like a bandwidth spike.
2: You're so a remote hard drive now.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. And, and a remote hard drive. And all the hacker people have put up movies and and uh, MP3s and all other f- sorts of things and published the IP address to the world.
2: You, I mean, that's, th- these are all bad things. If your server stops working, that's bad thing. Right. But... There's a whole wave of things that, that are going to be – should scare people, should scare the listeners if they're working for companies that are real companies. And, and I'm going to bring up two of them right now if you don't mind.
0: Sounds great. Uh, but, hey, if you don't mind, first let's take a pause and wander on down to the river and listen to those deep river blues.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's got them. But let it rain, let it pour, let it rain a whole lot more, cause I got them deep river blues. Just let the rain drive right on, let the waves just sweep along, yes, I got them deep river blues. Now, my old gal, she's a good old pal, she looks just like a waterfowl when I get them. Ain't no one to cry for me And the fish shall go out on a spree When I get them deep river blues Give me back my old boat I'm gonna sail it if she'll float Cause I got them deep river blues I'm going back to muscle shows Times are better There I'm told Cause I got them deep rivers Now let it rain Let it pour Let it rain a whole lot more Cause I got them deep river blues Just let that rain drive right on Let the waves sweep along Cause I got them deep sinks with me, I'll go down, don't you see, cause I got them deep river blues, and now I'm gonna say goodbye, and if I sink, just let me die, cause I got them deep.
0: Okay, and we're back. Pat, you were going to uh, tell us a couple of things that should have everybody running scared. Uh, why don't you go ahead with that?
2: Um, so the first is Sarbanes-Oxley. What did you say? Sarbanes-Oxley, it's an act that was passed in 2002. Okay. It was the act that was passed to basically make Enron um, punishable. If, you, if, if the CEO lies on their, their public statements, then pretty much they, it's a crime. Okay. So everybody thinks, you know, great law, I'm in favor of it. You're probably in favor of it. I'm sure all the people who used to work at Enron are very in favor of it. But it's got a lot of ramifications. That means that your company is liable for ensuring that no one's hacked the system to change the books. Mm. Not just cooking the books. It's about I know that these numbers are right. So that brings in a whole security question. Yes, well, it how does. how do you know it's right if, if you don't know that you're secure? Okay? Right. So this will become and, and it's it's by law it's federal. It's a it's a criminal offense. And so people aren't going to take this lightly. And, and you can't all of a sudden become secure over the weekend. It doesn't work that way. Right. If a machine is not secure, if one of these nice hackers who likes to secure your system for you is has gotten in, you really have to burn that machine to the ground and start over again in order to make sure they're out.
0: I like that uh, metaphor, burn it to the ground. Burn it to the ground. In other words, pave it, restart it from it. scratch. reformat, it. And... and I don't know about you, but I definitely – if somebody wants to make a secure server, I definitely recommend Windows Server 2003 Yeah. after I've experienced what I have. Here's, a, here's an experience I had just last night, and it was cool because um, Scott Hanselman was online, and I, and I asked him. I chatted him, and I said, uh, you know, do you have an experience with Windows Server 2003? And he said D- running web services, which is where I had a problem. And he said, yeah, all the time. And I said, well, I'm getting this problem. He said, ask for assistance. So right in MSN uh, chat, I asked for assistance. Two seconds later, he's in my system zipping around, pulls up Notepad, and we have this little chat session just by both typing in Notepad at the same time. Yeah. And and in, within 15 minutes, we had nailed it down. He downloaded a tool from the Internet and uh, and used it to diagnose the problem and fixed it in five minutes. The guy's brilliant.
2: I'm really glad Scott's on our side because he's scary. Oh, he's
0: awesome. So what I did is I... I wanted to set up a way that I could access the logs through a web service. And so I wrote an ASPX file, and I just created a virtual directory and created a text file through remote access. So I'm running in through TermServe, and I created an ASPX file. I put it in there. And, um, and I just have a simple function to retrieve some numbers, basically retrieving numbers for stats. Right. And uh, it wouldn't work. And, and here's what the problem I got on the client. I went to add a web reference to it. And it gave me basically a 403 error. But it was in the form of a dialog box, and it wasn't the Windows authentication dialog box. It was like a a web service reference dialog box that came up and asked me for my credentials.
1: Okay.
0: I thought it was kind of strange. So what he did is he downloaded Filemon. I don't know if you've seen Filemon. Yes. Yeah, he downloaded Filemon and uh, installed that and hooked up uh, – anything that accessed an ASPX file. So then we looked and we saw that we were getting a denied via the ACL list. So it w- didn't have anything to do with IIS security. No. Nope. didn't have anything to do with that. It didn't have anything to do with .NET security. It had to do with NT security at the file system level. And so 2003 had locked it down. Right. We actually had to grant permission to the interactive – by by default, the Internet user – only has a list permission or something like that, so we had to grant permission on that file and also to the network account. Yeah, f- to read that, to read and execute.
2: I, I know you guys have covered code access security in a lot of places on the, on the show, so we won't dig that up again. But but you really do have a lot of power to control your own destiny on 2003 server with the .NET framework.
0: And it really doesn't. I mean, yeah, you do have to educate yourself, but. Uh, you know once you once you That's I, job security uh, yeah absolutely i think I, I think you know in terms of education this is probably the the biggest payoff you can get from right. making the case for education in terms of uh IT. it's right. security.
2: well it, it's it's going as i said it's becoming a hotter topic sarbanes oxley's is one example there's also people in california actually i got i got to retract that anybody who does business in california
0: even arnold
2: arnold especially arnold <laughs>
0: especially but, arnold
2: But any – well, there's a new bill that was passed in July, um, a Senate bill in California, um, that now makes it the law that if you do business in California, selling things in California, all that – Even drugs? You have to disclose any security breaches publicly to all your clients.
0: So if you're on the street selling crack –
2: And you have a security breach. You have a
0: security breach. You have to disclose that. Exactly. All right, Mr. Crackhead, you listening?
2: Well – this is huge for a lot of people. No, it is. It is. Think about how many companies don't want to advertise. For every security breach you see out in the internet, there's got to be dozens or hundreds
0: of oh, thousands that aren't
2: published. And and companies hate to have security breaches. But if every security breach were public, because it's a law, that would be a big difference. Well, it is. If you do business in California, which most almost every software company I know sells to California. What do you
0: mean by publish? Do you have to like put you up have to a website? Notify web all your
2: customers. You All your customers to- must be notified, either through a public medium or directly. You're kidding. No. Senate Bill 1386. <laughs> wow. The California Information Practices Act. And and you basically have to, it, it impacts everybody who does business there. Wow. So, um, and I was just reading about that over this weekend. That's another thing that's going to make, it's going to raise the ante to not just deal with security after the fact, but to prevent security problems from coming a lot of people are still trying to secure nt4 systems with you know older versions of exchange or systems. you can't there's there's just too many new hacks yeah um to keep the older systems and and the same is true in the linux world you can't you can't patch the oldest versions of linux because no one's writing patches for them anymore
0: you know now this is this brings up an interesting point since you brought up the l word (laughs) the dock side right yep um the the open source people make a a lot of noise about um you know windows being insecure now yeah. you and i know and i hope the listener knows also that because microsoft is the biggest target and because more more money is at stake let's just put it put it right out there there's more business and money at stake because of security flaws in windows than in linux yeah so there, and and that's why you hear about it. It's not what the saying? default desktop system. Yeah. So, but it, we had a we had a link in a previous show, I think, to a a page where you can see all of the the compromises and all of the uh, vulnerabilities of. I think it was Red Hat Linux. Yeah. Uh, as they're posted, and I looked on it, and just in the current, in the last two days, there had been twenty new vulnerabilities in the current version
1: of of Red Hat
2: right well let's put it in let me if I can if I may I'd like to put things in perspective a little please so I've our company is you know pretty busy in a lot of different technologies I'm more on the Microsoft side but but I definitely play on on all sides of the right. the technology sphere there's no there's no commercially available or open source available operating system today I think this is a bold statement but I believe it's absolutely provably true that is provably secure you you could endeavor to make an operating system that was prov- provably secure, that used practices at every communications layer, at every, at every interaction layer, that, that prohibited every interaction unless you met credentials of a sufficient level. Yeah, Provably make it secure. No one would be able to afford it. No one would buy it. It would cost probably millions of dollars per copy for you know tens of years because of the, the research and development cost. You'd have to rewrite it stick build it from scratch. Knowing what we know now, Right. All the operating systems that are out today have been around for a while and, and we know more about the nature of security, the nature of the protocols we're dealing with than we knew when they were begun. So you'd have to start over. So right. I'm not willing to pay $15,000 for an operating system for my desktop at home and neither are you. So we can take that whole thing off the table. Both operating systems that we're talking about for that are out there, Linux and Microsoft Windows, are probably not absolutely secured. There's no way to do that. We'd have to rewrite them. So they're both going to have security flaws. Now let's look at how many people are hacking against them. The average person who's using Linux is not a casual user. I don't know anybody who's a casual user using Linux. And one of my tests for a true hardcore Linux user is whether their parents and close relatives use it. (laughs) If if your mother and father aren't using Linux, then what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Okay. Well,
0: uh, okay. Most... Most Linux users, it's in the domain of the hobbyists, wouldn't you say?
2: I I don't know. I mean, I've seen some really rabid people come to the defense of Linux, and I've seen a few... I'm not
0: people. saying hobbyists aren't rabid and, and, and enthusiastic about their platform. They are. Yeah, some people do it... I just mean non-professional. I, I mean, you, just, you, you see a lot of... You see it in schools, you see it in academics, you see it in some startup websites, a lot of websites, but... But do you really see them running business software in the back end?
2: Well, so, I don't. I I mean, I keep hearing about Linux, and I go into into a lot of data centers, and I don't see a lot of Linux. I see an Apache server every once in a while. I see somebody using a device that's got Linux in the back end. Right. Um, You know, a lot of the set-top boxes use Linux. A lot of the firewall boxes, the Linksys boxes, those kinds of things, I don't know if they specifically use Linux. They use either, you know, BOS or something like that. But... But if you're counting those, I don't think that's the same discussion.
0: What do you think of What do you think of the new brouhaha around trustworthy computing? You think that's a uh, You think that's real, or I mean, what well, is what is Microsoft doing in Longhorn? Let's say to to uh, to to prevent some of the classic Windows breaches that we keep hearing about. The
2: first aspect of trustworthy computing came out in um, I think February 2002, right after 9/11. Okay, and it was in response to the whole world waking up that security matters. right? And and Microsoft, you know, did some really great things. They closed down a lot of bugs. They closed down a lot of holes. And they fixed a lot of things. And it was a long period where there really weren't many vulnerabilities, newly, newly discovered vulnerabilities, because there was a lot of effort. Pretty much all the effort of Redmond went into into, into hit, dealing with security. I don't think they just decided to stop looking at security. I think what happened is they they had to let up on the level of scrutiny the code was getting. Okay, and and I think that now they're trying to get back to that that consistency.
0: And why do you think that's tr- so?
2: Well, so security is a great thing that no one notices. Um, you very rarely does your boss come over and pat you on the back and say, "We didn't get hacked today. Good job." They come and shoot yeah. you in the head if you get hacked. Right. So it's <laughs> it's a it's all stick, no carrot. Right. Okay. And, <laughs> and and no one believes. Man, you are the king
0: of analogies. <laughs> Did I ever
2: tell you that? Yes, you have actually. <laughs> Labyrinth of pain. Remember that one? Yeah,
0: the labyrinth of pain.
2: Um, (laughs) Maybe maybe we can explain that one in another show. Um, So you've you've got this situation where you you try to do your best, you try to throw as many features as you can, and and you also have a spate of, of exploits. We've had a lot of exploits that have come around at the same time that have been things like exploits against DCOM, DLLs.
0: Right. Well, in particular, that one hit us recently.
2: Right, I mean, we could get rid of DCOM, but then tell everybody to use net, but I think the rest a lot of the world would have to you know try to kill us
0: that would make them mad,
2: so you know it's can 't do that we 're still wed to the legacy, and that 's where a lot of the vulnerabilities are coming from If, okay. if you see a vulnerability that goes from two thousand and three all the way back to ninety eight then you know it 's a legacy artifact
1: so
0: let 's fast forward to longhorn two thousand and five two thousand and six what is what is Microsoft doing in Longhorn? That will. Are, I mean, are they getting rid of decom and Longhorn? Are they? Is it just not supported anymore?
2: Well, so I, I, I'm very reticent to comment on an operating system I'm not writing before it's released. <laughs> That's very um, true.
1: So,
0: so I we, don't
2: believe anything. I don't believe decom can go away because we need it for backward compatibility.
0: But it, I mean, if you need decom, would you use? Longhorn. I mean, you know, do you think that they're going to take out some of the things that have caused so many problems in the past?
2: I think what they're going to do is more compartmentalize everything. So everything is a module. If you want to install that, you know, maybe the legacy protocol module. I don't know if that's a Longhorn feature.
0: No, we're just guessing here.
2: Yeah. I, I'd say that it has to become it'll become more modular. More choices. Like when I install yeah. on two thousand and three a web server, I have to choose to enable ASP and ASP.net. Okay. They're not default. The In other words, get rid of the assumptions. If you assume, you're you're opening me up to vulnerabilities that right. I might not want. Absolutely. So that's one thing. The other I love thing that is, about
0: two thousand and three, by the way.
2: Uh, it is really great. Uh, it's a pain when you set it up.
0: Yeah, but I'd rather go through the pain and have it exactly. be secure.
2: Especially on a production box. So the the next big thing, if you read it for those who are truly paranoid, okay, X Files fan. <laughs> trust no one. Trust no no website. Um, we have Palladium, the or what's now been renamed NSCUB. I hate that. It's N next generation security and I should know that that acronym. Yeah. And basically it's hardware and it's it's you know that provably secure operating system that I talked about that uh-huh. we don't have yet? Yeah. So so we're we're moving there. We're we're getting there. It's going to take a long time. It might take three versions of the operating system. It might take ten. Um, but it, it's going to take some time to get there. But it's a big move when hardware is involved. Right. And everybody, everybody just assumes, oh, well, we're using a hardware router. That's better. That's faster. That's well, that's because we have more faith in hardware. It's hardwired. It's hard to hack hardware. So yeah. The hacker's not going to come in and bump out an EPROM out of my router. Right. Uh, we hear about. Hacks against pieces of hardware about de- um, devices much less often than hacks against
0: servers. I suppose it's a matter of how generalized or specialized that hardware device is. If you have a a general router, there's a lot of software in there that, if it was hacked, could cause lots of damage well, and could be rewritten as well.
2: They can, but you have to flash the BIOS, and that's a bigger operation than just changing a file. Right. You know, my, most most systems don't let you flash the BIOS. Remotely at all, right? You know that's another thing that a lot of people ignore is their devices. You know there there are if you're using a firewall and it's a hardware based firewall, there are flash, there are there are updates to the to the ROM, and if you don't update them, the firmware, you now got a vulnerability.
0: And that's a problem with Windows in general too, isn't it? Yeah, you don't patch it. And in fact, you know the the argument Microsoft makes is that you know all of these recent uh, vulnerabilities in Windows were addressed in service packs and in updates that people didn't apply.
2: I don't. The the, the service pack application process right now is still needs work, but they're working on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll be the first to say that you know it, it's an onerous task to apply all the fixes and, and service packs, but you've got to pay attention to it. One of the things that you can do for yourself is minimize what you put on a single box. I mean, if you're going to have a server and it doesn't need to serve up, web pages, uninstall IIS. Right. Okay, there's a lot of 2,000 boxes out of there that are acting as web servers and they don't have a single page to serve up. All you've done is increase the, the attack surface and the number of service packs, and uh, not service packs, but but patches that you have to put on that box. If the software weren't there, you wouldn't need to patch it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we'll see great steps forward in improvements for the auto-update process.
0: One of the cool things I like about Longhorn and WinFS that I've seen you know, if it if it really works this well, is that the whole operating system is modular, like you said, it's right. componentized. Yeah. And since the whole API, the whole operating system is basically written around the .NET framework, which will then be called WinFX. Right. The you know, and and you know that .NET assemblies installed just by drag and drop. You can basically replace components of the operating system just by replacing files.
2: Right. And that Whereas, gives you that yeah. gives you a huge capabilities for for patching and fixing and, and also for custom configuration.
0: Right. And it's sort of like it, the way I like to look at it is all that stuff that we've been talking about in .NET class, you know, in my VBNet classes and on the web and in blogs and everything yep. about the benefits of of .NET, you know, this is this is an option today, programming in .NET, but in the future, this is where we're going. So
2: wait, it's the new API.
0: It's the new API. So... So the the benefits of assemblies are now not only apply to your programs, but they apply to the operating system as well.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody's asserting that the entire operating system is going to be based on .NET. It's not a .NET operating
0: system. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. But it but it is a componentized a step, a operating system.
2: Yeah, it's another step in along the road to that. And right. if you look at the way everything is anything that's componentized that you can just swap out a piece, right. Is easier to maintain. Absolutely. Okay, cars, tanks, you name it. Um, we're we're evolving in better defenses against security. But one of the things people have to remember is they have to survive tomorrow. Yeah. They can't wait. Oh yeah, it'll be secure in a month. By then, it might be hacked. And and even and no matter how many patches you put on after the fact, if they've got a trojan on the back a back door into the program, it doesn't matter how much you patch it after the, after the fact, it's still there.
0: All right. So I have a. Uh... I have a burning technical question for you. Uh-oh. Who has better coffee, Seattle or Vermont?
2: I don't drink coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm a freak that way. I'm like one of the only people I ever know that got got out of the service that didn't drink coffee.
0: Well, my friend Paul Litwin, who was uh, in uh, deep training with me, yep. he he came out here to teach a class the first time, and and we took him out to a a place down on the water that's you know Bill's Seafood Restaurant in in Westbrook, Connecticut. They have a New Orleans jazz band there on the weekends all year round. It's a great place. I would like to bring out-of-towners yeah. down there. So we get down there. There's a bunch of old salts walking around going, "ah" like this, you know, and drinking whiskey and, and having, from a, the Simpsons. having a Guinness, yeah, you know, drinking beer and, and whooping it up and having a good time and, you know, smoking. And the band is just absolutely on fire. And so he's like, Can I get a latte? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. Did he recover? Yeah, he recovered. <laughs> he he was it was culture shock, you know. But it was like, uh, you know, you tell that to the waiter, and he's gonna sock you.
1: Yeah. It
0: is. <laughs> now we have Dunkin' Donuts here. All right. Dunkin' Donuts, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts is our coffee store.
2: There's three of them in my town.
0: Yeah, we have we have four in mine in New yeah. London. With withdraw-
2: How many? Which drive Uh, yeah, one, two,
0: three. All of them.
2: Yeah, we're blessed we're the, we're the same way. Yeah. Um, actually, I grew up uh, right next to the town where the first Dunkin' Donuts went in, Braintree. Are you kidding? Yeah, Quincy Mass was right next to Braintree. And Braintree that's where they where, started? Well, they have Dunkin' Donuts University there.
0: So that's where it started. I
2: believe that's yeah, I believe that's the first, site wow. of the first Dunkin' Donuts, they turned into the university.
0: The problem, at 8 o'clock in the morning, you cannot get coffee. No. It's just mobbed.
2: Get it the night before.
0: They need to have a better distribution model, I think. They got to look into .net.
2: Yep. You never know. You never know. Actually, you hear that McDonald's is changing their distribution model, where you'll order yourself through an electronic kiosk, and then it, the people who work there will just worry about taking the money and delivering the uh, food. Really? Yeah.
0: So you drive through, you you punch a a touch screen.
2: I don't know if it applies for the drive through, but oh. it's going to be for in store. They're they're looking at cutting their their staff in half.
0: Oh man. Well, so where are all those high school kids going to get jobs?
2: <sighs> <laughs> Hopefully, they learn .net. Yeah, that's
0: right. Well, they'll <laughs> learn to write code to put other people out of
1: jobs.
2: You know, what's funny is people said the same thing sick. about when, when people started leaving the farms. Yeah. You know, when the farms started closing down and right. then when the manufacturing. There's always a nut, the next horizon. There's always the next place to put people. As long right. as we educate them and as long as they get the right training. That's true. So that's why, you know, people need to learn about technology and maybe the next thing is robotics. With technology and space, with robot, with with robotics, but
0: nanotechnology.
2: Yeah, for every job, I mean, the drug industry is booming, so they might as well go into there.
0: I'm waiting for the book "Nano Nanobots for Dummies." <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> well, you know, I really love Redgate Software and the stuff they make, and uh, right now I want to talk about Ants Profiler, and this is a code profiler for .net. It'll work with any .NET language. It's really easy to use, and the results that you get make it easy for you to understand where problems and bottlenecks lie in your code. Uh, A tool like this is missing from Visual Studio, and these guys do a great job. Uh, Some of the things it does is it measures line level timings and method execution times. It helps you understand how your application is performing and how helps you identify slow .NET code really, really quickly. And after using the profiler, code can be optimized, so the application's performance is improved, and hardware requirements are lowered. And if that weren't enough, you can get uh, you can get this for only two ninety five for a single user license. So it's not going to break the bank. And you can get a fully functional trial at Redgate's website at www.red-gate.com com code profiling htm. And if you really want to get a good feel for the product, they even have a short video demo on their website. Uh, I I personally love it and uh, encourage you to check it out. Well, anyway, now let's get back to our talk with Pat Hines. Isn't this great? I love Pat, man. Every time he stops by, we always learn something new and we hear some more of his wacky analogies. (laughs) All right, stick around. So anyway, so your developer in your company, you have, you know, a network administrator who's trying to keep their head above the water with security. You know, if I could, you gave us one tip for the admin passwords and stuff. If I could come to my next meeting with anything that Pat Hines told me from .NET Rocks that we should do right now. I heard on .NET Rocks, Pat Hines say, I should do this. What is it?
2: Well, so I, I do think the first tip is the one I just gave, I gave you about the administrative thing. Turn on auditing. Um, set up some dummy accounts. The next thing would, would be to go and do a survey of your systems to make sure that they haven't been hacked.
0: And is that something that Mort can do, or is that something we should call critical sites for?
2: I definitely think you should call critical sites for it. But okay,
0: and why is that?
2: So you, you can do a first level yourself, but, but you still got to do the research to figure out what to look for. Okay, um, you know you. You write music and read music pretty well. Yeah, I could get a book and figure out whether or not something was, you know, the proper harmony or right by figuring it out. But it would take me hours and hours.
0: So you're going to save yourself a lot of time and aggravation, and know that you're not going to miss anything by. Well, you got to you,
2: you got to start clean. I guess that's that's the point. You got to get to okay. a point. you got to get to a point where you know you are at least not toast. You're not right. being used by anybody. You're not. That might mean a rebuilding network, so some people might just shy away from it. But you, all security is, is meaningless until you find out whether you are in fact already hacked.
0: Do you have some good tools for monitoring um, your Note system? <laughs> Notepad.
2: <laughs> the event logs are huge. Um, there's right. a all bunch the- of tools we use. We use a lot of tools more around finding out where someone is once they're they're attacking us. Okay. Or, um
0: you recently did that, didn't you? I, I yeah. called you. Um, I was I was calling you about something. You said, I, I can't do anything. I, I think it was even an interview. You said, I can't do it. I'm in the middle of tracking somebody down.
2: Yeah, we had somebody we found in, um, and, uh, I think they were in Turkey, huh. in Ankara. Yeah, we found them there and actually had our controller call their company. Wow. We told on them. <laughs> wow. But um, in that case, it was somebody hacking from a, a desktop in a company as opposed to behind an AOL account. Right. But but by knowing where they are geographically, you could figure out a lot about, you know, what they're doing, what they're going to try to do.
1: Right.
0: Uh,
2: we have had we had a hacker who did a job on a, a, a honeypot box. We left out that was a... Um,
0: now, what's a honeypot box? You, a honeypot
2: box is a, a system we put out on the Internet for the express purposes of watching what people do to it.
0: So to attract the bees kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, sometimes
2: we'll, we'll take... <laughs> we, won't, we won't apply a specific patch right well or we'll throw you know sometimes if we want to get real interesting we'll throw a box out there completely naked nothing no service packs nothing right and we'll just see what they chew apart and what they what tools they use sometimes we'll secure a box reasonably and see what they'll do now so that
0: way you're always kind of aware of the kind of things that people are
2: doing yeah well we want to know what tools they're going to put on the box huh. i mean trivial ft a tftp server tft yeah. ftp.exe is a very common one. Yes. Sometimes they'll, they'll insert a service. One of the one of the ways you can tell whether you're hacked overtly is go into your services and, and see what you can identify that's not a real service.
0: Well, and that that's a job in and of itself, isn't it? It is.
2: So you got to know the services. Or I've seen people disable the service they actually needed. Yeah. You know. Well, that's got to There's no way. There's a, there was an interesting hoax that went around um, that. That my sister sent me once. That said, <laughs> Sounds
1: familiar. go to
2: this, go to your Windows 32 directory, System 32, go to the Windows NT 30, System 32 directory and look for a file with this name and if it has a teddy bear icon, delete it. Oh man. Well, that was an exploit that basically got people to break their system. Yeah. It, I think it had to do with um, the, the uh, Internet Explorer didn't work properly after you deleted that. Well, it's a vi- valid file. It just happened to have a screwy icon. Right. Somebody picked a teddy bear and it made it through. Um,
0: so there's hope. <laughs> Here's one, uh, Pat, that I've been getting recently quite a bit. I've, you know, I have an eBay account and I have a. And what's a, the password? <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. Great. I'll I'll tell you after. Yeah, I have an eBay account and I have a um a, a PayPal account associated yep. with it, and I get this email that says, you know, eBay needs to validate your account. Yep. And it's and a PIF it, attachment. No, no, no. It was even better than that. It wasn't a PIF attachment. It was a JPEG that looked like text. So it was a text. The whole thing was a JPEG, but it looked like a little web page. And so anywhere you click on it, it was a link to some IP address page that looked like eBay. Yeah. That had all the graphics of eBay and everything else. And they wanted my social security number. They wanted my... You know, my this and my Don't that
2: you love those commercials where the person's talking with the hacker's voice on oh, TV, yeah. the identity theft yeah. commercials. You would have been a victim. Yeah. You didn't do it, of course, right?
0: No, of course not. And and PayPal, I've gotten several that do the same thing with PayPal. But you know, your average Schmo is who uses eBay is gonna get that and they're gonna they're gonna click. Right. And they're gonna put in their information. So uh, you know, it's scary. It's really scary
2: and that's human engineering they're they're convincing you to do something that you shouldn't you shouldn't do yeah and that's that's been around for a long time that people captain crunch one of the original phone freaks yeah you know, <laughs> he, he, you know
0: he was he's fun. you tell the story of captain crunch captain crunch was a guy who loved captain crunch by the way and and that was why he called himself that but there was a little whistle that came in the captain crunch box exactly. is that it yeah. and and when he whistled it uh on a Got a, called an operator, and when he whistled it, it it, it gave a true twenty six hundred hertz tone, and he could take over the operator's line by whistling.
2: Yep. Basically, he he did free phone calling for years doing right, and that that he was the first phone freak right. that we know about. And he's
0: immortalized, right? Yep. Uh, yeah.
2: Yep.
0: Like you, I have you know several friends who grew up in the eighties and seventies, and you know we're we're you know moderate hackers and stuff, and a lot of them have moved on to legitimate jobs. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it was a, it was fun for a while. Well, now it's... And now it's serious business, man.
2: You know, you got to... Security is the next wave. Security is the current wave. People just don't realize it. Yeah. The good news is that Microsoft's paying attention. Microsoft's getting their act together. Are, are they going to secure the operating system so that nobody can ever do anything that they're not supposed to? No. That's not going to happen.
0: I just don't know how the average schmo is going to protect themselves against emails like that.
2: Well... We, so we're very good. We have a pretty large company, and we send out an email about every month to highlight what people are doing lately. Oh, that's good. And what we'll do is I'll typically wait till somebody sends something like the PIF attachment to me. Right. And I'll forward it on to all staff, and I'll say, this is the kind of thing we're seeing now, and make sure you don't click on it, and I remind them of all the rules of engagement. of you know, right. Even if you know the person, if you didn't expect it, don't click on it and all that stuff. And, and we've been very, very fortunate that all of our staff down to admins haven't done anything. And also well, we put the fear of God in them. <laughs> it's very costly when somebody opens a virus like that because it spams your internal network typically. Yeah. Um, the
0: whole uh, the whole issue of communications, you know, in email, you brought this up because of email. I bring this up because of email. Um the whole issue of communications is is a tricky one. In order for communications to be effective, there has to be a high signal-to-noise ratio. Yeah. And signal-to-noise means, you know, how many legitimate emails versus how many spams do you get or, you know, take that to any – apply that to any technology. Even within the emails that you get, there's a lot of noise. In other words, there's a lot of things that you don't necessarily need right now. And one of the biggest problems I've seen – is when I subscribe to lists or when I have when I get emails from people and they're constantly, constantly sending me things. Sending me this, sending me that, sending me the other thing. So mentally in my mind I'm saying to myself, Well, there's a frustration value associated with investigating this email. There's right. a there's a time waste value here that so therefore I'm going to put off looking at that.
2: Well so you're describing almost a denial of service? Done through email.
0: Through legitimate means and from legitimate people that you know. So I guess what I'm saying about communication with anybody, and it has nothing to do with security really, but is that in order for communications to be effective, that you can't constantly communicate for the sake of communicating.
2: We've all had the experience of somebody we couldn't stop, get to stop talking to us. Yeah. You know, I'm in the middle of That's right. doing something. At school, we used to call them oxygen thieves. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't a very nice <laughs> term, but but it wasn't that vulgar either. So
0: it's true. Hey, I'd really love to sit and chat right now, but yeah, it's very very difficult. But but so I you know so it's important within. I think that's one of the reasons why blogs have become popular because they're. I think I don't know who said it this way, but they're like a self-filtering communication mechanism where, since people haven't figured out how to spam them yet there 's no spam, and since you have to be a little bit smart in order to set one up and use one yeah the, you know, right now it 's like enjoyed by the domain of only the you know, the elite blogger group, if you will, and that 's the way the internet was in the beginning too, right The only people who used the internet in the beginning were the the, the researchers and the, the people I was in on colleges
2: YouTube a long time ago yeah, I remember before there was a web.
0: That's right, and uh, you know, go for sites and things. So the information you found there was, uh, you know, of importance to this this small community. So, so it's always the same. It comes back to the same principle. When things are small, they're manageable, they're easy to deal with. As more and more people, as more and more users, as more and more uh, popularity, and it gets bigger and bigger, you know, that's when the challenges come in, and that's when not only do you have challenges with the technology, but in just Signal to noise. Yeah, I find it very difficult to to just sit down at the computer and make sense out of it when when I want to do my work, just because there's so much stuff there that I either feel I have to do it all right now, or uh, especially email. Emails, yeah. just the worst. You,
2: you got to come up with a filtering or a rule mechanism or something. Or something. I use a lot of aliases um, that um, help me get rid of emails. Like I'll for a month I'll sign up with a with a couple of extra letters in my alias, yeah, um, and like, you know, P. Hines, A.B. Right. And then I'll subscribe to a few things and talk to a few people, and at the end of that period, if I start getting <laughs> spam because of it or I just don't want to see those updates um, that I've subscribed to, then I oh, just that's interesting. delete the alias.
0: So you do it by time period.
2: Well, I do it by, you know, when I start seeing spam to those e. I don't call them. They're not really spam. Usually, it's just like noise. Sign up for a newsletter. Yeah, something like that. I've got I've got a couple of brokers that are updating me on the the, the, the economy. If I find one of them is not useful, I'll just discontinue that alias. Yeah. As opposed to setting up a rule to delete all of them, it's a kind of a, an administrator's trick because I'm an administrator on the mail system. I can do that. But, right. But it's, it's quite useful. Um, <clears throat> you you brought on a couple things. You keep mentioning the average user and and i think that's one of the places that the vulnerable have, have turned up the, the desktop operating systems in the windows environment are almost always average users one of the comparisons that's made is well you know linux users don't report to have these many problems they patch their systems much more regularly right the the new update services that microsoft is offering will make that better you'll we'll get an automatic patch
0: and it's pretty good now
2: it does but they're actually looking to improve that right um, I was involved a little bit in the beta for that, for the next next hmm. generation of update products. Hmm. So <clears throat> there's a lot of time and energy being spent on that, and and you can't fault Microsoft for not spending enough money on trying to solve problems. I've, I saw an estimate that next year's R and D budget is 6.4 billion.
0: Yeah, I saw that too. That's incredible.
2: Yeah, so that's you know that's more than probably anybody else or everyone else is spending.
0: Here's a quote from Bill Gates in uh, E Week this week. Designing Windows is like designing the 747. You have to get all the pieces to fit together. Right. There is more R&D being spent on Longhorn than on the 747. Yeah. Can you believe that?
2: You know, hopefully it doesn't crash.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's an unfortunate analogy, but uh, I guess you know the you know people most people think of 747s their experience with them as being smooth. Yeah, <laughs> there aren't too many people that can re- recall with fondness a 747 crash that they experienced and lived through. You know, <laughs>
2: that's true. So, um, so I think we're coming to a, an interesting period where the tools haven't yet caught up to the reality. Although, have you ever heard of the Open Hack?
1: The Open Hack.
2: Yeah, there's a I, I Maybe I'm referring to it wrong. There's a, uh, a session that I think they do every year. Microsoft entered into it. And they let they pretty much give a bounty to anybody who can hack into these systems. Wow. Um, The I think Scott Stanfield from Vertigo helped with the Microsoft side of the Open Hack this year, and it withstood eighty-five thousand attempts,
0: eighty-five
2: thousand sessions that attempted to hack into the system. Huh. Um,
0: And then and then somebody got in.
2: No, no one got in. Oh really? Yeah. They ended the. I think it was a three or five day hack. With, that was well advertised um, and no one got into the Windows system. I think they, go, they breached either the Oracle or the IBM system. I, I don't remember huh. who actually sponsored that system, but but the uh, Windows systems withstood it. And my point here is that you can make systems, Windows systems secure. We do it all the time. There's lots of customers we have that keep them secure. Right. But it's not a trivial task. It's not a part-time task. It's, I mean, it's part-time. You don't have to have a full-time security person doing it. Yeah. But you have to put cycles in it. And... And The people who are least likely to do it are the ones that never check their event logs anyway hmm. if you've got a network administrator that 's unwilling to check their event logs. The odds that they 're going to patch anything correctly or in time is zero
0: now we only have a, um, a few minutes left, so I want to ask you about your opinions of NAT uh, network address translation mm-hmm. and is this just is this something that people can do use uh, in their in their homes and in their businesses yes that that is a an easy effort versus payoff thing to secure your computers.
2: Yes, I I, I think that there are very few people I know or, or that are under my advice that have a home system that doesn't have some kind of NAT box, whether it be Linksys or Netgear or whatever, um, in front of their connection to the Internet.
0: And what about at, at the business?
2: Well, at the business level, it, NATs is, a, is a, a low-end way to do it, but you can use firewalls as well. We, we do NATing at, at our company. Right. We do. Purely for the point that we need more IP addresses. Right. But there's also the security aspect. Well,
0: let me define NAT um, for those who don't know. As you know, you need an IP address in order to exist on the network, on the internet, and on your network, on any TCP/IP network, which is every network that runs Windows. Right. And uh, the IP address space is limited. It's a 32-bit number. So, you know, it's in the billions worldwide, but still you you have to pay for those addresses and people don't ISPs don't give them up easily right uh comp- some companies have a class C which means they get less than 256 uh addresses and many companies share a class C with other companies so net is a way that you can put this device on the internet that has one IP address to the internet but internally will route traffic based on internal IP addresses 10 usually 10.1.whatever.this.that. Yeah, the
2: entire Class A address range of 10 within 65,000 addresses is not routed on the Internet. That's right. So that's another security aspect of NAT. If, If I have an address that's external and you send something to that address, your traffic can't...
1: Can't
0: traverse the routers.
2: It can't go across it because if I send a packet as a 10 address out on the Internet, all the routers on the Internet are programmed to throw it away. Right.
0: So the basic idea is that you have unlimited IP addresses behind the firewall, and you can communicate with each other. And probably should be using DHCP to dole out DNS addresses and things like that. Um, But you know, and you can also communicate on the internet as a host through a NAT uh, box, right? If you will, a NAT router.
2: Yeah, another network address that's um, available that's not routed on the internet is 192.168. So a lot of the boxes will use that.
0: They use that, uh, the home boxes, the link sys boxes, and things that you use with your cable modem and your DSL.
2: Yeah, there's right. a, I believe there's a class A, ten, the 10 net, class B, 192.168. Yeah. And there might, actually, is that class? That might be a class no, B. No, that's a class B. Yeah. And then there's a class, I think there's also one other, like 172. something.
0: I'm sure there is. And there's also numbers within the, the, the final uh, domain. Which you can't use. You can't use 255, you can't use
1: zero, and you can't
0: use... Yeah, 7-0. they're in the
2: experimental range as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh you're talking about 255. Yeah, IP is an interesting thing. One of the things that developers really need to do, and I know you're into TCP IP because your sockets book right? Um, is they need to understand the protocol that they're using. It's, it's the, you know, everybody says that HTML right. is a lingua franca of the Internet and data. Right. But, but really, we're using TCP IP underneath the covers that's all the right. time. And that's ports. Is become a major issue of security. What ports do you open on a firewall? People, right. I a lot of people just vaguely understand the concept. They should understand it better than they do.
0: And they know that it takes an act of God to open a port at the company. Right. And it should.
2: One of the one of the misnomers is that. Well, if I only have port eighty open, I'm not vulnerable. You are. There's a right. lot of hacks that go over port eighty and other ports like like twenty five for SMTP and those kinds of things. Right know, one of the measures of how geeky you are is how many ports you can name. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
1: Oh, port two
0: one nine four. Yes, that was uh four forty three. <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of them
2: out there. One nineteen.
0: Yeah, you should know four forty three. That's SSL.
2: Yep. And you should know one nineteen is newsgroups.
0: One nineteen is NNTP. One ten is POP three. Twenty five is SMTP. Twenty one. Twenty and twenty one are FTP. Typically, although oh, FTP, you're pretty geeky, Carl. Hey, I wrote the book on this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, okay. Well, Pat, man, uh, what can I say? Do you have any last minute words of wisdom to impart on the listeners?
2: Um, so I wish we could like illustrate some more of the techniques on a on a radio show, but I guess any
0: events that you're doing that are coming up that we should be aware of in New um, England event.
2: So I'm probably going to be I'm probably going to be in Cairo in January. Okay. At a conference, uh, I usually go to Hong Kong in the fall. Uh, but there's a lot of local things going on in the Northeast.
1: Yeah, well, you're
0: going to be part of Dev Days too, right?
2: Yep, and also the
0: and the ASP.NET Roadshow,
2: the Web Services East um, Web Services Edge East. Conference.
0: Yep, you're a regular speaker at Dev Connections.
2: Um, yes, although I haven't been able to travel as much lately because of a lot of work. But the business has started to pick up, which is a good thing. That's good. And and we're a consultancy, so um, I only I try to spend less than six weeks a year out on the road doing uh doing. Big events. So
0: if somebody wants to contact Critical Sites about doing a security check, uh, wh- where should who, who should they call?
2: Well, you could send an email to me, phyns, P-H-Y-N-D-S, at criticalsites.com, or you just go to criticalsites.com and look for the contact information there.
0: Make sure you don't write the word spam in the subject. Yeah. And otherwise, right. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, man. Uh, hey, I appreciate it, Carl. Full circle here, huh? Yeah, yeah. You, you have a lot to talk about. And uh, the coming years are going to be quite interesting and i and i i consider this the year 2004 to be the year of .net security and uh uh it sounds like you guys are doing some great things and keep Thanks. it up. Talk to you later. Carl. All right,
3: good night. hard.